Furious followers, and welcome to Coward's Fury of Fury Within. Just me tonight. I'd like to ask for your support through Patreon or Buzzsprout. I'll post the links in our show notes. Today, you'll hang out for just a few minutes with me, Chris, and there's so many things in this world that fascinate me. Hopefully you too. Many of them feel unexplainable, and many have to do with the human condition or the human psyche. So let's begin with a story about you. Imagine yourself on a nice holiday with your sister in England. So if you don't have a sister, just pretend. The two of you have grown up together almost like you were twins. You shared everything as children. Toys, books, hugs. You even dated another set of siblings at one point. But in some subtle ways, there was in fact a power differential between you and your sister. Your sister always seemed to have a bit more control over situations, maybe even to the point of influencing your decisions. Take that pair of siblings you two dated. They were great. You had a lot of fun with both of them when you were all together, but you also had a lot of fun when you were alone with your someone special. But when your sister broke up with her half of the sibling match, she insisted that you do the same, even though you didn't want to. In the end, she convinced you it would be too awkward for only one of you to date one of them. I mean, it just made sense to end the relationship, right? I mean, sisters always write about these things. Sometimes your sister's insistence on doing things her way, however, could feel a bit stifling, as though she were trying to keep you to herself without the outside influence of others. But she is your closest friend and confidant, so it's okay, really. As time passed and you both grew up, you both began to lead more independent lives, even moving away from each other and across the world. The separation from each other has been hard, but perhaps a bit liberating for you. You even started your own family. Eventually, though, you and your sister desired to spend some time together and decided to go on a holiday in England. You planned and planned where you would go, you would do and what you would do and see. Your sister insisted on traveling by bus, and you agreed. At one point, the two of you board the National Express coach to London. Really exciting, right? Sometime during the ride, your sister became a little agitated. She tells you things that sort of make the hair stand up on the back of your neck. She's never lied to you before. I mean, the two of you spent years being like one person of one mind. Before you know it, you're feeling agitated and a bit confused. You clutch your bag as though someone's going to take it from you. Your sister asks the bus driver to pull over at the station, which isn't a scheduled station, because you're both not feeling well and you both want to go to the bathroom. He complies, worried about both of you. When you try to return to the bus, your behavior and that of your sister has gotten to the point that he won't let you back on the bus because you won't allow him to search your bag. You claw at your bag even closer. Police are then called. Your sister talks to the police who deem both of you to be harmless as you've both calmed a little bit. But your sister decides you should leave on foot rather than getting on the bus. So you do, headed toward the motorway, the M6. So the M6 is a super busy, fast-moving highway, the longest in England. The closer you get to the busy traffic, the more confused you get. The more agitated you become with all the cars going by and moving quickly, you become confused. As you walk down the median of the fast-moving highway, police see you on CCTV and they come out to try to talk to you. Then, suddenly, without warning, your sister runs out into traffic, getting hit by a car and causing chaos. Then you almost simultaneously feel compelled and also run out into traffic, getting struck, but not seriously. As help arrives and they pull you both to the shoulder, traffic begins to flow again. As you both get your wits about you, your sister takes off into traffic again, just like that. This time, she gets hit by a 40-ton box truck, crushing her legs. Just as suddenly, you escape and you run out into traffic. The next thing you feel is black. Everything goes black. 
when you regain consciousness, you see your sister hissing and spitting and yelling at the police. Get away. I know who you are and you're not real. You yell back. They're going to take your organs. The two of you are caught up in hysteria. Your sister yells for the police, even though they're already on scene trying to help. Then you slug one of the officers. And if as if that's not enough, traffic is stopped or trying to get around you both. It's just pure chaos. Police finally get control. It took six officers to subdue you and are able to take you both to the hospital for treatment. Your sister has two broken legs, but you are relatively unhurt. You've calmed at this point, but don't seem to understand the gravity of the situation that you're in. While you calmly answer questions, you never offer a reason for even being in London, let alone being on the M6, or even after the condition of your sister. At one point, you even kind of joke around and laugh with the officers. Healthcare workers and police are stunned that you seem so physically stable after the hit you took from the car. Police and healthcare workers release you, but with nowhere to go and no one to help you, gu- help you or guide you, you simply wander. You wander until you find a kindly gentleman and his friend. You ask if there is a hotel or a place that you can stay nearby. This good Samaritan takes pity on your haggard state and offers you a room and a hot meal for the night at his flat. You gratefully accept returning to the man's flat, both you and his friend. You explain that you're looking for your sister. The man offers to make some phone calls to hospitals to see if he can help you find her. At the flat, you begin to feel agitated again. You're not sure why. The pain and soreness that you should be experiencing from your run-in with a vehicle seems to be completely absent. You're sure someone is following you, looking for you. The paranoia creeps in again. You're certain your cigarettes are poisoned, and even as you offer to light one for your new host, you snatch it away again, telling him that he's going to die. As the evening wears on and your agitation escalates, the friend of the man decides to leave. You try to get some sleep, but you're bothered by your bewildering thoughts. In the morning, the man again tries to make some phone calls to help you out, to help you find your sister. He leaves the flat briefly to ask a neighbor for some tea as he had run out. Something happens in your mind during the few minutes the man was gone, because when he returns, you believe him to be after you. Without thinking, almost by instinct, you charge him with a knife in hand, stabbing him in the head. He stumbles out of the flat, living long enough to say, she stabbed me, then falling to the ground, lifeless. You know you've done something bad, but your mind can't comprehend. Again, working on instinct, you grab the hammer that was sitting nearby and run out of the flat. As you're running, what you've done begins to sink in and the stress you feel is beyond measure. You begin to hit yourself in the head with the hammer in your hand. You almost can't even feel the blows. Someone sees you in this state and sees that you're distressed and you're hitting yourself and stops you. You think they're out to get you and slam. You hit them with a roofing tile that you'd grabbed and you continue to flee. Up ahead is a bridge, a way out. You run towards it, the edge draws near, and the next thing you feel is the sensation of falling, cool wind, confusion, and then the searing pain of both your ankles breaking. You've reached the end. You're taken to the hospital and treated, and then charged with the death of the man you stabbed. Sounds impossible, doesn't it? I mean, you would never behave that way. You would never put yourself or anyone else in harm's way, right? But what if you were the secondary in a duo, suffering from something called folie à deux, or in French, madness for two? What if the primary sufferer were your very close relative and their delusions were somehow extended to you? This is what folie à deux is all about. There are other forms of the condition as well that include more than just two people. You can basically replace the word do 
with other numbers like three or four. So I don't speak French, um, and I don't want to hurt anyone's ears who does speak French, so I'm not going to say them. Um, but you can also have, I'll try this one, uh, Falia Famille, which would be refer to basically a whole family suffering from a delusion together. What is this phenomenon? According to the National Library of Medicine, folia du is, quote, an identical or similar disorder affecting two or more individuals, usually members of a close family. So the story that I told you, albeit with my regular creative license, was actually mostly true. Two twin sisters, Ursula and Sabina Eriksson, born in 1967 and originally from Sweden, came together after time living across the world. They had been ultra close growing up. Eventually, Ursula moved to the United States and Sabina to Ireland. The women came together again for a holiday to visit with each other. One evening, they secretly left Sabina's house, headed toward London, after Sabina had had a fight with her spouse. The part on the bus actually happened. The twins became very agitated, clutching their bags and just acting very oddly. They were behaving so oddly that police were called, but then when they were deemed harmless, as I said in the story you know, before, they were sent on their way, on foot. As a result, they did actually end up in the median of the M6 and then inexplicably dashing out into traffic. The rest of the story is also true. Ursula did break both of her legs, but continued to fight and spit and scream at authorities as though she hadn't broken them. It was It's a wild scene. You can see the video of this as well. Sabina got away and took the full brunt of a hit from a vehicle smashing in the windshield. She was left unconscious for 15 minutes. When she regained consciousness, she got up and immediately became combative, yelling to her sister that they were going to take her organs. It took six men to gain control of Sabina. They reported that she had incredible strength, and even with six men, she almost managed to wriggle away. Both women were treated in the hospital, Ursula undergoing surgery for her mangled legs. Sabina was taken and booked after healthcare workers released her uh, medically. She's seen in the footage of her booking, like joking around with the officers and almost like she doesn't even care. It's sort of surreal the way she looks and acts. Um, And again, you can Google this footage. It's out there. She was released, but she had no place to go. She ran into 54-year-old Glenn Hollinshead, who was with a friend. I think they were walking a dog. Holland's head was a welder and a qualified paramedic as well as a former RAF airman. He took pity on Sabina, as I mentioned, and offered her a place to stay for the night. Like, how good is that? Her behavior again became very erratic. And just as the fictional version of the story I told you, she did kill Holland's head the next day with a knife, proceeding to hit a passerby with the roofing tile, as I'd stated, all while hitting herself in the head with a hammer before she took a flying leap off a 40-foot bridge onto the A50, another major arterial road in London. At that point, she broke both of her ankles. She was treated, and then she was tried uh, in court. Sabina pleaded guilty to manslaughter with diminished capacity and received five years in prison. Psychiatrists would say that Sabina suffered from a rare psychiatric disorder, as well as the possibility of polymorphic delusional disorder, thereby reducing her culpability in the death of Mr. Holland's head. Ultimately, Holland's head's family put a large amount of blame actually on authorities for not detaining the women earlier, given how they were behaving. There were several opportunities to do so well before Holland's head was murdered. Delusional disorder is different from schizophrenia because you might think, oh, that's just schizophrenia, but it's not. It's, it differs in that only delusions are present without the other outward signs of psychosis that are present with schizophrenia. It's rare and can have very quick onset as well as very quick remission, making it very challenging to diagnose. That was a lot of varies, but they're all true. Further, shared delusional disorder or falia du is rarer still. 
The DSM-5 no longer recognizes folia due as a separate disorder, rather classifying it under other specified schizophrenia spectrum or other psychotic disorders. Did the Ericsons suffer from shared delusional disorder? Well, that's for the professionals to opine on. Ultimately, Ursula moved back to the U.S. and Sabina, after serving her sentence, and is said uh, to have moved back to Sweden. No explanation has ever been given by either sister for what happened. This is not the only researchable case of Falia Du. There's the pair of Morgan Geyser and Anissa Weir, who most true crime fans will have heard of. They're the two 12-year-old girls that attempted homicide of their other best friend in order to gain entrance to the house of Slenderman. And of course, you can Google Slenderman. It seems utterly ridiculous, but this was their shared delusion. There's also the infamous Leopold and Loeb, two brilliant gay men who abducted and murdered a 14-year-old boy as part of a crime game, believing they were too smart to get caught and that they could commit the perfect crime. Um, So many say that in retrospect that Leopold and Loeb shared that delusion together. One more example, Christine and Lee Papin, two sisters who were formerly abused and became maids in the same 1933 French home. So we're going to start with French and end with French. They suddenly and inexplicably murdered the mistress of the house along with her daughter and dismembered them like all over the home. The argument of Faliadu is not always a successful argument to refute shared violent behavior. It's a strange and fascinating occurrence that seems to have roots in delusional disorders where the involved personalities, regardless of who is the primary and who is the secondary, are very close to each other. The human mind is a very complicated place, full of mystery, both wonderful and terrifying. If you'd like me to cover something specific, um, you know, shoot me an email at cowardsfury at gmail.com. I'd be happy to take some suggestions and do something that you want me to do. You can also post a comment on our Instagram at cowardsfury. I'd love to get some listener ideas to toss around my own strange mind. Until then, furious followers, thank you for listening. And I'm going to give this one a stab. Voici pour votre santé mentale. Here's to your mental health.